I think what's most important is to understand what you know and understand what you don't know. And I often think of that as one of my superpowers. You don't need to know everything. <laughs> In fact, when you look around the room and there's people there that are smarter than you sitting beside you, that's when you know you've done a great job. Welcome everybody to In Conversation with Shopify Plus. I'm your host, Jason Buckland, and we thank you for being back here for episode four of the new season of our show where we speak with the very best and brightest in business. Our guest today is a real heavyweight and a longtime one in the direct consumer space. Ariel K is the founder and CEO of Parachute. I know you have seen this company's products. They are the linens and bedsheets of Instagram's dreams. They've become a tremendously popular brand online and especially so on social media. We know this space favors innovation and indeed Parachute has run a masterclass in that, not only really being first to do linens and bedsheets in this way, but also in its patient brand identity, slowly but always with intentionality, building out Parachute's catalog of products, which you can see from its offerings now, has methodically leapt up and out of the bedroom and bathroom and into all rooms of the home today. Stick around with us for the next little while because Ariel is going to share with us many of the things she used to build Parachute as she did, including some specifics related to marketing and offline marketing the company does well. She will get into the future of work with us, what she sees for Parachute in terms of working from home or working in an office going forward, and also how she sees that model translating to her industry as a whole. And we spoke about this idea last season with Chip Wilson, the founder of Lululemon, but discounting is such an interesting ideal, especially so in D2C, where there's so much pressure and competition to attract customers. But again, here, Ariel has some words of warning for any company that relies too heavily on sales or cutting prices throughout the year. Discounting is a slippery slope. It's really easy to get addicted to the excitement around accelerated revenue that discounting often brings. Our Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Memorial Day sales are so fun to watch. It's just a hard relationship with a customer to back out of and one that I think can dilute the brand and can tell the customer essentially that they don't ever need to buy full price. Okay, we go to her now. Our guest today is an author. Her How to Make a House a Home was released in 2020, though of course she has something of a notable day job too. Ariel Kay is the founder and CEO of Parachute, the famed home styling brand based out of her native Southern California. She joins us today from her home in Los Angeles. Ariel, it's great to be with you. Thank you for being here on In Conversation with Shopify Plus. Thank you for having me. Ariel, let's start with some current affairs with your company, if we can, and we'll get into this specific idea later, but Parachute may indeed have survived the pandemic better than many other businesses. And indeed, it is not precisely breaking news to suggest that more than a year where many of us were confined to our homes lent itself to your products, especially being in high demand. But we are getting back out now and Parachute stores are humming along. The majority of your business is done online, but you have 12 stores now across the U.S., including two very new ones in Seattle and Scottsdale, Arizona, suggesting a renewed and very intentional commitment to retail. Where do you stand today on retail's recovery? And what, if anything, is going to be different with regard to how brands show up in stores going forward? I am super excited about retail as a strategy moving forward. I've always been bullish on retail, specifically for our brand. You know, I can speak to the experience that a customer can get when they're able to touch and feel our product. It's just 
so special and, and can be really valuable for the customer as they're making their decision around our products and getting inspired and educated on the brand. I view our stores as relationship centers. So they're a place for us to get to know our customer, for our customer to get to know us. Pre-COVID, we were able to host events and workshops and speaker series in our stores. So they were, you know, really about being part of a community. And I think that is is where we're going to get back to. You know, our stores are designed to feel like a home. They're designed to showcase our products in their most authentic setting and to really be a place for us to, like I said, build that relationship. I mean, we also do see a tremendous impact on our e-commerce business in the areas where we do have our stores. So this really nice natural halo effect that's happening, which is, of course, a plus. (laughs) The pandemic forced Parachute, like it did many companies, to fast track a lot of things. And especially in this area, some things related to omni-channel. You've been open that your company had these strategies on its future radar, but buy online pickup in store, curbside pickup, appointment shopping, these were all sped up in terms of parachutes rolling them out last year. What have you learned about the best way to run an omni-channel strategy that will inform the ways in which parachute sells as we return to some kind of pre-pandemic normalcy? Yeah, I mean, I think the shift here really is, you know, we went from being a brand that wants to be where our customers are, so with physical locations, and now we want to be a brand that can be how our customers shop. So I think what we're seeing is there's going to be continued change in preferences in the way that people like to shop and be out in the world. And some people are going to be more comfortable spending considerable time in the store while others are more comfortable making their purchases and the decisions online and then being able to benefit from the convenience and ease of something like buy online, pick up in store. So we are now thinking about, I mean, we're always putting the consumer first and trying to think about how we can create a better customer experience. And and this just feels like a pretty easy way for us to be thoughtful and mindful about preferences around shopping. The last question, so directly related to the pandemic, is you'd made note that in the early months of 2020, Parachute was forced to, of course, temporarily close its stores and other things like marketing efforts were paused as many companies tightened their belts to get through. What are the important lessons when it comes to turning those faucets back on? And what ripple effects throughout the business does that have? I think it's really just about being slow and steady. We very much paused a bunch of our you know, efforts from a media perspective and a marketing perspective and, and tried to just recalibrate and then slowly reactivate and learn and be responsive. But I think it, it's really all about thinking about what's happening in the world, understanding what's happening, understanding how we can be most effective and taking your time. I think we really benefited from being quick to make decisions, but also being really thoughtful in our decision making. So allowing the brand to make a decision and then pause and learn and collect data and then recalibrate and evolve and keeping that practice and that as like a muscle and a process moving forward. I think is going to be really helpful. All right. We will bring this episode full circle and return to some news of the day. And we'll even ask you a little later, Ariel, to peer into your crystal ball for us to pull out what you see the retail and D2C worlds looking like in the near future. But let's go back a little into your earliest days with Parachute, if we may, please. You are the company's founder when it launches in 2014. The business comes out of an idea you had in 2012. And over the intervening years, you trot out across Italy and Portugal to 15 different textile factories to learn about the perfect bedding and what would become your brand's flagship product. Now, everyone knows your sheets, but not everyone may know that you come from the world of PR and branding, and you leaned heavily into those strengths when launching your own company. 
as specific as you can be with us here, because I imagine we have some in our audience that are in this early position now and hoping to glean some tips, but what were the most effective PR strategies Parachute used in its first days to really make a mark? Coming from a background of public relations and storytelling, I really believe that in order to build a successful brand, you had to have a really great quality product. So you never sacrifice on quality and then also have a compelling story to tell. I really thought about what was differentiating about our brand, how our products were made, how we could tell customers and inspire customers um, in a way that had never done before and, and package that into a really compelling story and narrative for our media partners. And that's what we did. The exciting thing about launch and the strategy around launch is that people love talking about new brands. I mean, that's some of the easiest press to get if you have a compelling story and people are excited about whatever you're bringing to market. I can almost guarantee that people want to write about that. I launched Parachute around, you know, in beginning of 2014, there weren't a lot of other brands in the category. In fact, there were none. Um, You know, there weren't a lot of mattress brands in market. In fact, I think there were also none of those yet either. And so this was very new and exciting, but we were really clear about our brand message. We were really clear about who we were and about the value. And we were able to tell a very compelling story and and people were excited and it was new and different. And just thinking about how you can tell your story so that it excites people and you don't need to overcomplicate it. It can be as clear as, you know, what are you selling and and why is it made better than what else is out there? Or what's the special story about how it's from, or even, you know, the idea about how it came to be. There's a lot of ways that you can communicate and share to get people excited to learn more. You have said that before Parachute launched, you hunkered down and developed a business plan that was, to quote a term you have used once to describe it, robust. (laughs) What were the most important things in hindsight that were in that business plan? It was really all about kind of the forward vision. So it was about this idea that you could build a trusted brand by being focused and really specific in terms of what you're bringing to the customer, which is why I entered through the bedroom and embedding. But really, my business plan was all about the future. It was all about this huge opportunity and the amount of market share that I thought was available for us to get at scale and that we were entering the market as a betting brand, but that was the step stone to being so much more and to open stores and do all of these other things that would really bring the brand to life. And I'm very proud that when you look back through that initial pitch deck and the business looks very much today, like, like I talked about eight, nine years ago when I was putting it together. The last item on your sort of founding days I wanted to touch on was this idea of a company founder who self-identifies as a creative We see this all the time, founders who are really great product people, really great visionaries as their core strengths. And indeed, I think it's fair to say you have evaluated yourself as such both then and now. Mm -hmm. You, of course, are not just the founder of Parachute. You are still its CEO in charge of the company's operations. Feel free to go along in this answer here and list out what you feel is most important. But what advice would you give other entrepreneurs on how to turn a creative vision into a business? Well, I think being a creative visionary and a leader and someone that can really see so clearly what this brand can do or the potential of a brand and the vision and and the roadmap for that success is very powerful. And I don't think that you need to have a business degree or to have some sort of career path to get you there. I think, in fact, it can be even more incredible to to not have those things because it, it allows you to think so freely and so differently about success and about accomplishing different 
goals and getting to different milestones. But truly, my answer to this is is hire great people and surround yourself with a really supportive network that can help you along the way. I mean, I am so grateful to have a team of brilliant leaders and people that are phenomenal at executing and doing and thinking and collaborating, as well as investors and mentors and advisors who I can turn to to ask questions and to introduce me to other area experts and people that can be beneficial. I mean, I think what's most important is to understand what you know and understand what you don't know. And I often think of that as one of my superpowers, like being very aware of where I need support and where I need to turn to others for information and education. I'm also the type of person that is just like insatiable in terms of my desire to learn and to learn new skills and to push myself to grow. And that definitely has been helpful. But I would say you don't need to know everything. In fact, when you look around the room and there's people there that are smarter than you sitting beside you, I think that's when you know you've done a great job. Now, I know a bit of the answer here. I know that your first hire was somebody that was strong in numbers and could help with the company's finances. What were other key areas of hiring you thought were just as crucial to find support in for Parachute? There are a lot of things that, there are a lot of things, <laughs> um, but I would say inventory management and you know thinking through kind of the inventory planning and making sure that we had the right inventory on hand was a role that was super important for us to figure out and it took us a while to get there. And when you don't have the right inventory tools in place and, and leadership in place, you find yourself in, in situations where you don't have inventory to sell. And if you don't have inventory to sell, things can't really progress. Logistics, supply chain operations, that's certainly another area. I mean, those are skills that, you know, you just want people that have done it before, that have navigated the challenges that often arise in those lines of the business and can quickly resolve them. Those were probably like the biggest areas early on that I really wanted to make sure that we had support around, as well as technology. Like I'm not a technology leader. That's not the language that I speak. It's easy for me to say I want the site to do this or would love for this experience to come to life, but I don't know how to get from point A to point B. So having um, a strong technology lead that can help you prioritize and think about how to develop and evolve as you grow is certainly important too. Before Parachute was something closer to a household name, you've said that there was never any consideration to not selling D2C or selling anywhere outside your own channels. You would take no shortcut to revenue or to finding an audience through Amazon or anything like that. Why not? I was and remain extremely protective of the brand experience and the customer shopping experience. When you diversify your distribution channels, you often lose sight of who the customer is that's buying those products. And I really wanted to control that experience and and know that the end-to-end experience that people were having with Parachute was owned and operated by Parachute. It felt very important to me to control that experience and that narrative and all of that in the early days. And even so now, that's primarily how we run the business. I think it really depends on the product. I think it depends on your goals. I think that those channels can make a ton of sense for other brands and for other types of products. So you just brought this up because a direct-to-consumer approach is something you've guarded quite closely. And indeed, you really take that seriously in terms of you want your customer touch points to come from Parachute and nobody else over the course of your growth. But then suddenly, a few partnerships have crept in. Some limited-run collaborations, first with Madewell in 2020 when your goods became available on their site. And most notably this year, a much more prominent partnership with Crate & Barrel 
which now sells items of yours like sheets and robes and towels? What are the things that absolutely have to be present for a company like Parachute, which takes D2C and its inherent values very seriously, to effectively run what amounts to actually something close to a wholesale campaign? Sure. So Madewell was more of a collaboration. We together created a capsule of products that sort of showcased what we were known for at Parachute, including bedding and what they are really good at with apparel and, and pajamas and things like that. And so we merged kind of our two expertise and our style and aesthetic to create this capsule that was sold both at Parachute and Madewell. Crate and Barrel is more similar to a wholesale experience in that we created a kind of a shop in shop destination within the crate and barrel environments, but we also created these very special exclusive colorways for their customer. Both were really successful and made a ton of sense. They were an opportunity for us to reach a larger audience and to connect with customers that maybe hadn't learned about the brand. COVID had sort of changed the strategy because of the implications and and the impact on retail, but they were also an opportunity for us to be in retail stores at scale. Both collaborations were really fun. We loved working with their teams and they were very successful for both brands. And so I think I've also caveated my, you know, no wholesale, whatever, with a never say never moment. (laughs) Um, And these were opportunities that I was and and I'm so proud of and really excited about. And so we'll see what happens in the future. But, you know, they were very specific. We were still able to really allow our customer and their customer to learn about Parachute in a very Parachute way, which was unique to other types of wholesale relationships that we had explored in the past. Another thing that relates to how your brand shows up in the market is discounting. And you have spoken publicly about this before, Ariel, and I think this is something you feel somewhat strongly about. Parachute runs only two sales a year on Memorial Day and Black Friday, Cyber Monday. And this is very intentional. You don't want to get into the business of lowering your prices just to move inventory. How, in your opinion, should DTC brands approach discounting and all the attraction and all the peril that might come along with it? Discounting is is a slippery slope. It's really easy to get addicted to the excitement around accelerated revenue that discounting often brings. Our Black Friday, Cyber Monday, Memorial Day sales are so fun to watch. I mean, they are very successful moments for our brand. But really, you know, we do believe in limiting the amount of discounting that's happening because it's a hard relationship with a customer to back out of and one that I think can dilute the brand and can tell the customer essentially that they don't ever need to buy full price. And one of the value propositions as a D2C business is that you aren't inflating your costs because of the wholesale margin and, and different other retail costs that are associated with being in traditional bigger box retailers when you're a brand. So our prices, we feel, are very fair, and we are really proud of our strategy here, and it's not something that will ever change. We will remain a a limited discount brand. Our products are very core, so they're not seasonal products. They are designed for all seasons. We do introduce limited kind of more fashion styles in different seasons, but most of our products were not on the same kind of calendar that other brands are where there's newness coming constantly and they have to move through inventory so quickly. So our strategy around buying inventory allows us to also hold inventory in a different way.
taking a quick break from our chat with Ariel K to bring you a preview of the next episode in our series with Heather Hassan and Trina Spear. This is the first time we've had two guests at once on an episode of this show, and there is good reason we went after these two. Heather and Trina are co-founders and co-CEOs of Figs, which, if you don't know them, is kind of one of the hottest startups in retail right now. More than $260 million in revenue last year. They just went public in May of 2021, all while kind of totally transforming the medical scrub business in the vein of many of the best D2C companies we've seen before. Heather and Trina chat with us about how to run a great pop-up store, as Figs has done to major success before. We talk about what is really an art in some ways, which is pricing your products and how the number you put on a tag can define to the market just what kind of brand you want customers to think of you as. And also, you bet we're going to get into Heather and Trina's dynamic as co-CEOs and what it means to have two bosses atop a company of their size. We're both CEOs of this company, and we both oversee the entire company. A lot of people like to put you in boxes so they understand you, they understand your personality. It's like, okay, no, that's the finance one. Okay, that's the creative one. I think it's easier for most people to digest a human being when they can put them in a box, but we're not kind of box people. We think outside the box. That was Heather Hassan, a co-founder and co-CEO of Figs, who, alongside her counterpart Trina Spear, is next up in our series. Before we get back to Ariel K, this show is brought to you by Shopify Plus, the enterprise platform that powers the very best brands in the market, from Allbirds and Gymshark to Staples and Heinz. And I have a special announcement for you here today. What do the biggest brands have to say about influencing the next generation, selling globally and growing boldly? Commerce Plus is your chance to find out. Coming to your screen on October 13th, this online event from Shopify brings thought leaders and icons together for unfiltered talks on the future of commerce. Tune in live to hear from brands including Big Face, Bombas, Mented Cosmetics, and more, and get ready to gain insight into upcoming Shopify products and go beyond what's possible. Register now, or if you're listening to this after October 13th, watch on demand at Commerce Plus. That's commerceplus.shopify.com. Now, without further ado, let's get back to Ariel K. May we spend a few minutes here on some of the ways Parachute markets itself? Sure. Firstly, Parachute has a mail catalog, which just deserves a moment in the sun here because unless you are Ikea or Restoration Hardware or, I don't know, Sears Roebuck during the William Howard Taft administration, you know, the poor mail catalog ain't what she used to be. But the beauty of things is that your mail catalog has actually proven to be a real driver of high traffic and high conversion rates for Parachute. What are the ways in which you might recommend a DTC brand making offline marketing work for them? Catalogs have been really successful for us. We've been sending catalogs now for almost four years, and we're now sending, I think, four or five catalogs a year to quite a large circulation. The beauty of catalogs in specific is they are a form factor that allows you to really tell your story. And I think, you know, to go back to the very beginning when we were talking about storytelling, we're always looking for marketing channels that allow us to tell a story, to tell who we are as a brand, 
to showcase our products and why we've designed them to give an opportunity to share the inspiration behind the brand and behind the products, we see that converting and that being really something that our customers in turn are, are really inspired by. Catalogs are something that when they're done well, people hold on to, you know, they, they stay on the coffee table, people return to them, you know, they earmark them, they use them for mood board. I mean, there's a lot of things that, you know, we see and hear our customers doing. And so I think that catalogs can be just like one of the most effective channels for that purpose. I mean, we also do smaller form mailers and postcards and things that can be like a nice entryway to test the direct mail channel. I would definitely encourage that as a kind of an entryway to see if that is going to be something that can convert customers. We've also dabbled in at-a-home and other kind of offline efforts, but Catalog has probably been one of our most successful strategies and something that we're going to keep doing a lot more of. Well, this very interview here is appearing on a podcast. And of course, that is the way in which Parachute entered the consciousness of many consumers in your company's earlier days was through podcast advertising. Now you exist in a competitive space with other brands offering similar products to yours. And a question I might tease you by asking when the microphones are off is whether you bristled every time you heard a similar podcast ad for Brooklinen or Bowling Branch. <laughs> but don't worry, Ariel, because my actual question is this. Whether it was through podcasts or any other forum, what were the ways in which Parachute had its greatest success in terms of marketing itself that might translate into actionable tips for our audience here today? So podcasts have been very successful for us. We're one of the few brands that actually don't offer a discount code with our podcast. So that's pretty unusual, but is a testament to that still being an effective channel without offering an incentive. And that actually goes with catalogs, with at a home, with really any channel. You often see discounts associated with those marketing channels, and that's just not something that we do. But I will say that we've seen one of the things that works best for podcasts for our brand is when our hosts do live reads. So they're able to really speak authentically about the product and their own experience of the product. We often send our host products so they get to use them themselves and they get to have that experience and touch and feel. And we just find that there's such a, a measurable difference in terms of how our podcasts perform when there is a live read, when the hosts are getting to know who we are and then being able to share that information. And so that's been something that we definitely gravitate towards when there's an opportunity to work with a show that does offer that. A few more things for you today, Ariel. And I wanted to return to something you told Forbes earlier this year about shifts in office culture, obviously, as it has been in response to COVID-19. You said, quote, I don't think office culture will return to what it was pre-COVID for a very long time, if ever. I think that this flexibility of working remote or having some hybrid model is the way of the future and at least for a while. Now, this is something of a departure for Parachute, right? Before the pandemic, like many companies, you didn't necessarily have a work-from-home culture. And my question is kind of a two-pronged one here. The first part is, what in your mind is the right mix, if it is a mix or a hybrid, as you've suggested, for Parachute's operations to run the best that they can? And then the second part is a broader ask, you know, as CEO of a large D2C consumer brand, what is your best prediction as we sit here today about what the future of work in this space is going to look like on an industry level? So at Parachute, I mean, we were a company that had never had 
a work from home day of the month or, you know, a summer fry. I mean, we were really an office culture, one that very much valued people's personal time. And, you know, this was an office culture where people, you know, it's a real nine to five type of experience. We really do believe in having lots of time to be able to live your life outside of the office. But yeah, we were never a brand that integrated any sort of work from home. Everyone was based in Los Angeles. And today, about 30% of our employees are remote. So that's a huge change for us. But we made the decision to allow our team members to move and to also start recruiting remote. I'm very excited about that. We've been able to broaden our ability to recruit talent outside of the greater Los Angeles area. The future of work at Parachute is a hybrid model. I really do believe in the value of being together, of collaborating in person. I think there's a lot of mentorship opportunities that can happen in person, you know, where you learn from from listening and from observing other people where you're able to have water cooler chats that are just very natural when you're in an office environment. And so my hope for the future of work for us is that we're able to move back into some sort of hybrid a few day a week in the office, a few days a week remote, a few times a year, you know, where teams or departments are able to get together to collaborate, to work together, to hang out and have fun. And so we'll see. I think that we're going to see a similar structure in many companies and many organizations across the country. I think that hybrid is going to be what feels best for most organizations. A lot of people really feel that they were able to be more productive while working from home and not having to commute and not being distracted by commuting. And I think that allowing that flexibility will make people feel supported and make people feel like they're able to kind of get the benefit of what they've experienced over the past year and a half. And I think that's also a big part of it is that this wasn't just like a 30-day change. Like we're now a year and a half in and, and people have really shifted their behavior around what working looks like. And I, for one, love that in between meetings, I can run downstairs and go into my garage and do a quick workout, or I can walk out of my office bedroom and say hi to my kids. I mean, there's a lot of things that I've really loved about being at home and how that's allowed me a more flexible lifestyle. So we shall see. I think that flexibility as an individual, especially in a growing company, is one of the most important traits that you can have. Companies are growing. The needs of the company are ever-changing. And so I would just encourage people to remain flexible and understanding that whatever's happening tomorrow might look very different in a month, in a year, in three years. So we'll see how it goes. Another forward-looking item, if we could, is relative to shipping and logistics. We touched on this a bit earlier, but you've been open that Parachute probably survived the pandemic better than most as it concerns supply chain and being able to meet demand. You might have had a few weeks of factory closures early in 2020 or whatever it might have been, but largely you got by okay. But of course, many companies in your space did not, and they were either left with either way too much inventory they couldn't get rid of, or what seemed to be more common was everything was on back order, which made for a lousy customer experience. Now, forecasting supply chain is obviously a tremendously difficult thing to do right in the best of times. Whether you are a large business or a small business, it is hard. But I'll focus this back on the D2C space that you inhabit for my question here. What do you think may change, if anything, about how companies like yours may approach shipping and logistics going forward? That's a good question. I mean, I think it's tricky. There's been a lot of pressure on the shipping and logistics in all aspects of it, from the factories getting materials and and products to warehouses, the pressure on the mail systems and deliveries and with UPS. In fact, I mean, there's just the entire system has been broken. I don't have a great answer for that, except that what I would say 
is that communication with the customer is the most important thing that you can do. If you're experiencing delays, if products are not going to arrive in time, if it's going to take longer to in turn get back to your customer, whatever it might be, over communicate. I think that people just want to know what's going on. And so that would be, I guess, my piece of advice around what the future looks like. I also think that we are thinking about things like making our stores mini distribution centers where we have the room to just help support our distribution centers. I mean, I think multi-warehousing is something that brands will look into so that they're able to be closer to their customers at the highest level, I think. When things get tricky, just (laughs) over-communicate. I will wrap up here, Ariel, after just two short questions about Parachute and the direction it's heading. You began, of course, with signature bedsheets and linens, but it is clear to see the ambition of your brand right in its catalog today. You now offer a mattress, even a bed frame, And your product offerings are getting bigger, bolder, and most notably, they are stretching out of simply the bedroom and bathroom and into the rest of the home. What are your thoughts on what the right pace is for brands to extend their product offerings without A, moving too soon before your core goods are first established in the market, and B, missing the connection for the customer, you know, not giving enough space so that your shoppers can fully get behind and connect the dots about the natural extension of the brand? Our brand has extended what I felt was very naturally into many rooms within the home. It's easy to kind of start in the bedroom and say, oh, yeah, it's an obvious next step to go into the bathroom. It's an obvious next step to go into a nursery. It's an obvious next step to go into a kitchen. But we have made these decisions with a lot of listening to our customers and and asking for advice and, and taking cues from our customers who make requests and want to see different products to even back up a bit. What I would say is, you know, establish trust with your customers with a core product first, which is what I really did with the bedroom. I built this like loyal customer base by improving people's sleep experience, which is a really, really incredible and valuable proposition and and just experience for the customer. So much so that when we introduced towels, people were like, well, if there anything is like my sheets, you know, I'm in and so on and so forth. So we really think about having a clear point of view, having a solid product assortment that no matter where people now enter, it all sort of makes sense. And the products are designed to be versatile, mix and match and make sense from room to room. But really that natural expansion, I think you can look at to your customers for guidance there, you know, like learning to see what they want, what they want more of. We look Look at our search terms on our website to see what people are searching for. Our store associates and our customer experience and stylists are always getting so much feedback, which then goes directly to our product and merchandising teams. And you know we're able to aggregate that information and help us make design choices, which is really fun. It feels like we're just in this constant conversation with our customer and allows them to also feel like they're being listened to, you know, which is a really special experience. My last one, and this is a direct follow-up to what we've just been talking about. From the start, Ariel, you were clear not to call Parachute a bedding brand, but a home lifestyle brand. And in that distinction is the latitude that Parachute can and would grow to all corners of the home. What's closer to the truth between these two statements about your company's future? Parachute is close today to its ideal product catalog, or Parachute Sweet Spot will eventually feature much larger items like sofas, sets of chairs, maybe even dining tables too. I don't know that I can answer that question. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. (laughs) You'll have to wait and see. 
All right. Even though she will not share the future with us, I want to thank our guest. Ariel Kay is the founder and CEO of Parachute. You know her company, Sheets, Towels, and Home Products at ParachuteHome.com. She has been a good sport to spend time with us today. Thank you, Ariel, for being here on In Conversation with Shopify Plus. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. All right. Thanks again to Ariel Kay, and thank you again for listening. If you like what you heard today, stay tuned for our next episode, which features not one, but two guests, a first for our show here. I am joined by both Heather Hassan and Trina Spear, the co-founders and co-CEOs of Figs, which is really as a company having a moment right now. They just went public. They are really at darling levels today in terms of the brightest and shiniest D2C brands out there. So please come back and join us to hear a really fun dynamic and how Heather and Trina play off one another. To find more of our interviews with Tim Brown, the co-founder and co-CEO of Allbirds, Seth Godin, the famous marketer and best-selling author, and Dylan Lauren, the daughter of Ralph Lauren and the founder and CEO of the Dylan's Candy Bar Empire, visit us online at inconversation.shopifyplus.com.